Before I read the text this morning, I wanted to take a moment and um, mention something that I had intended to mention last Sunday. Some of you will remember that we talked about the fact that God, God never allows people to enlist in his army that don't know the conditions. And we talked extensively about that. I'd like to go back to that, but I can't. Uh, but I had written down, you can see it's on a napkin here, and I had written it down, had it with me Sunday, but forgot to mention it. How many know the name Charles Finney? How many know the name Charles Finney? Well, there's about a half a dozen of us. Charles Finney was one of the greatest revivalists this country and England has ever seen. Tremendous, tremendous man of the Lord. When he would feel God leading him to go to a city, the first thing he would do is he would send his prayer man ahead of him. And that man would pray for sometimes 30 days, sometimes 60 days before Charles Finney ever arrived. And then when the timing was right, he would come to the town or city where he was going to be preaching. And they would have negotiated to get a theater to meet in. And he would preach every night for 40 straight nights, 40 straight nights, and he would not allow anybody to come to the altar. It's out of the question. Nobody could come to the altar for 40 nights straight. But as he declared the word of God, brought it in the blessing of the Holy Spirit, when the timing was right, he would open the altar. And in many cases, the bars in that town would go out of business. The jails would get emptied. Hundreds and thousands of people would come into the kingdom of God. Today, it seems that People will try to come up with some sort of a gimmick to drag people to the altar and don't mention anything except grace. Don't mention anything about conditions and that sort of thing. But God has not changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Now, would you stand with me, and I'd like us to read responsively. We don't do that, but uh, just today, I'd like you to stand with me. Turn in your, well, we'll have it on the screen. We'll have it on the screen. That way, all of us, if we'll look there, all of us will be able to be in the same version. I'll read verse 1, you read verse 2, I'll read 3, you read 4, and we will read down through verse 16. And then we will pray. So David went out wherever Saul sent him 
and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Let's read together. Now it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. I will read this verse. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Let's read together. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So David, I, uh, sorry, pardon me. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside the house. So David played with music with his hand and at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Now read the closing verse with me. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Hallelujah. Shall we bow together and ask for the blessing of the Spirit to be on our hearts, our minds, and on God's servant as he brings the word of God. Father, we are so thankful that you have given to us the wonderful word of God. Lord, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Without it, we would have no lamp and we'd have no light. We thank you that we can come together today and sit around the table of your word, believing that because you love us, and because of your goodness, not our goodness, but your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, you will give us something from your word to feed on today. Jesus, you called the people and said, come and dine. Help us to put aside thoughts about what we're going to do a little bit later in this day and what we're going to do tomorrow and what we did yesterday. And help us, Father, in Jesus' name, to look to you, to bring the word through your servant. For the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated.
If we use verse 6, which we have just read together, as our starting point, we will see that there are three stages in the growing fear and hatred of Saul, the king of Israel. Three steps in the growing fear and hatred of King Saul, king of Israel, and steps of growing in influence and reputation of David. There's always a couple of things happening at least. What a sad picture we are given in the word of God. It's not a story, it's not a parable, it's not something made up. All of you know that, I'm sure, and I don't mean to uh, belabor the point. But Saul was becoming full of wrath, envy, jealousy, and hatred because of the way things were going in that very day. And while that was happening, the very same time that he was being filled with fear and hatred, David was growing in influence and in reputation with God and with man. It makes all the difference, it makes all the difference where we fix our heart and fix our mind in our Christian life. What we have before us is an immense tragedy. We don't like to talk about tragedies at all, and we sure don't like to talk about them at Christmas time, but that's what we're going to talk about for a while this morning. What we have before us is an immense tragedy as we watch the darkening, the steady darkening of a once bright light alongside the brilliance of a new star. Saul, of course, is the old, and David is the new. What we have before us is the darkening. I've met people that claim to be saved, and they're walking in darkness. Saul was walking in a darkness, and his light was going away, and the darkness was coming on more and more. At the same time, another star was coming into brilliance, and they were next to one another. God put them on the same page. God put them, Grant, on the same page so that those of us who might be, I, I don't know that we have anybody like this other than myself, but so that we, uh, you know, we, we don't catch on too quickly, he puts it right there where we cannot miss it because he wants to teach us something that will help us for the rest of our days. Saul began seeing and he began to understand that it would be necessary, the way things were going, it would be necessary that he would have to decrease and David would begin to increase. 
Saul picked up on it. He could see where things were going. I'm going to try to talk about that in a good and intelligent way this morning because it's important that we see it. He realized that peaceful coexistence here cannot take place. I'm amazed at these people that have on their cars peaceful coexistence. We, we coexist with everybody. People that want to kill every last one of us. That's sort of a little picture of what we have here. This man realized that David was growing in light and in strength and in reputation and in favor with God and man. And that would mean, at least in his mind, that would mean that he would have to begin to decrease. However, however, instead of accepting the inevitable, he struggled with all of his might against what he knew that God was doing. You and I have done that at times. We've known that God is doing something and that he wants to maneuver us into a place and we're not really sure that's what we want. Saul was fighting against it in his mind, in his heart. And instead of accepting the inevitable, he struggled against it with all of his might. There are three stages. I mentioned that earlier. I want to just give them to you this morning. And then I have some things to say at the close. The first stage, the first stage in 1 Kings chapter 18, the first stage was Saul's jealousy of David and of his fame, his jealousy of David, and of his fame as a warrior. Saul's jealousy of David and of his fame as a warrior. This is chapter 18. In chapter 17, David has just rolled away the reproach that is on Israel. Goliath is not out there anymore. Goliath is dead. Battles have taken place. We don't have time to elaborate on that this morning, but just take my word for it. In those times, it was not an unusual thing what we read in chapter 18 together. It was a fairly common thing that when there was a group of warriors returning with a as a victorious army, they had gone out, God had given them the victory, and they were coming back. It was not unusual that the women of the city or town would go out and meet them on the road and sing songs of victory. That seemed like a nice thing. Saul had seen all of this before. This is not the first time that he has seen this. It's the first time it's talked about in the scripture as far as I remember. But it's not the first time that Saul has seen this kind of a situation. In fact, it would stand to reason 
that he had heard the words before, Saul has slain his thousands. Saul had heard it before. And that's where it stopped. Saul had slain his thousands. And a great quarter to three smile, as Brother Burton used to say many years ago. A great quarter to three smile had broken over his face. Since he lived, are you listening? Since he lived for moments such as this. Let God speak to you as I'm asking him to speak to me. Let God speak to you as I'm asking him to speak to me. Saul is beaming. He's beaming. He lived for those moments. Unfortunately for Saul, there was more this time to the song than just Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, when he heard that, he, it almost picked him up off the ground. But this time is different than the others. And the women are singing. They sort of did it in a chorus. You know, this group would sing and that group would sing. And this time, they sang these words. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Now, Saul liked the first part, but he didn't like the second part at all. He didn't like the second part at all. The singers were plain spoken. And the quarter to three smile fled from the face of Saul. David has slain his ten thousands, while Saul has only slain his thousands. To be compared to this unknown kid was bad enough. Talking about David. To be compared to this unknown kid was bad enough, but to be used as a backdrop against which David's superiority could be displayed was too much to bear. You know, folks, envy and jealousy They're big time. God help us. God help us. It was bad enough to just have to watch this unknown kid and be compared to this unknown kid, but to be used as a backdrop against which David's superiority could be displayed was too much to bear. Let's just stop and say this. There are few men. There are few men in high places in any walk of life 
who could stand such a comparison and maintain their composure. Then there was few, and there's even fewer today. There are few men in high places who could stand such a comparison and maintain their composure. Saul was not such a man. Suppose a great soldier in our day, uh, I don't know, maybe a Navy SEAL, who is high up in the Navy SEALs, I, I don't know, but suppose a great soldier in our day was coming home from a successful war, but he has his bravery dimmed by every news outlet, that's about what they're good for, that's about what they're good for, who has his bravery dimmed in every news outlet by praises lavished on some young lieutenant who had done some brave feat that caught the eye of the public. That helps us get a, wrap our hands and our minds around this. Would the great soldier be likely to be in an amiable mood toward the singers if the singers came out to meet this Navy SEAL and they were singing and rejoicing and singing his praises I don't think that man would be in a very amiable mood toward those singers great authors authors are something it's amazing what they write how they put it all together. And they, they fool us. They tell us they're, they're leading us down the road to believe it's Jordan. But it's really not Jordan, it's Grant. I can't follow it. I have to sit there and ask Judy, what are they talking about? Or, Where are they going with this? Or, now some of you, I'm sure, catch on more quickly than I do. But think of authors. They rejoice in rising of young authors reputations that dimmed theirs i think not i think not or great orators do they smile approvingly when some boy takes the ear of the public more than they do what is the problem there envy and jealousy how in the world we ever thought that the most important things were how people dressed now I'm for dressing modestly CM Ward this, we're, this is going way back to when wearing makeup was a sin CM Ward said any old barn needs some paint Poor Saul, poor King Saul. He had to drink the bitter cup. He had to drink the bitter cup, what cup? He had to drink the bitter cup 
which all who love the sweet drink of popular applause have to taste. Now, I'm going to read that again. Poor Saul had to drink the bitter cup which every person who loves the sweet drink of popular applause have to taste. God help us. Probably, probably we should cut Saul a little slack because he found it bitter. Rather than criticizing Saul, Perhaps we should take care lest we be guilty of the very same thing in our little lives and small spheres. Rather than criticizing, rather than finding fault with Saul's, perhaps we should take care that we not be guilty of the very same thing in our little little life. Envy and jealousy of those who seem destined to outshine us or outdo us in any way is not confined to people in high places or with great reputations. It's true. It's true. Even a man with a quarter in his pocket and lose that and be broke. I believe God wants to help us. That's what he does. He helps us. He shows us when we're going down the wrong path. And he says to us, turn at my reproof. He says, turn at my reproof. Behold, I promise to pour out unto you the Spirit of God. Proverbs chapter 3. Envy and jealousy of those who seem destined to outshine us or outdo us in any way is not confined to people in high places or with great reputations. Are you listening? This is a very important statement. The roots of envy and jealousy are in all of us. The roots of envy and jealousy are in all of us. Now we don't have a fight going, thank God. One of the biggest hotbeds for wars in many places is the church. And if you boil it all down, in the final analysis, most of the time, most of the time, it's envy and jealousy that is at the bottom line. Many years ago, in about 86, 87, several men were asked to go to a church way, way away from here. An Assembly of God church. And I happened to be one of the ones that was asked to go. And when the, when the pastor had spoken, then it was time to have the business session. 
He is a prince of a man. I have known him for at least 30 years. One of the godliest men I've ever known. A wonderful preacher of the word of God. A man that took a church in Maryland and it was small. And by the time he left there, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in that church. And then he went to this other city that I won't tell you what it was, where it was or anything. And the church began to grow there, began to grow, began to prosper. God was moving. And some people got it. They, the people liked the pastor. But some of them didn't like the preacher's wife. She was the choir leader. And she would not allow people to sing a solo unless they were committed people. And I sat on the front row and listened while this was being said. I grew up in this church and I've been singing in this church since I was three years old and they won't let us sing anymore. Jump like that. Jump like that. <clears throat> the pastor met with us and he said, brethren, tell me what to do. Tell me what you want me to do and that's what I will do. If you tell me to slip out quietly, I'll slip out quietly. I came back to the meeting at the district office and I'll just say some of the officials were sort of leaning toward this group of malcontents. And I said, can I say something? I said, I see the spirit of this man and the spirit of those people. And there's nothing to say. This man said to other men, I will end my ministry if you tell me to. I will leave this church that I love and serve and preach to and bless. Just tell me what you want me to do. Kindly, sweetly. And I can tell you that man just retired recently from that church. That was 1986. Strong, powerful church. One of the things they especially didn't like is, is that he was a praying man. He was a praying man. And sometimes they would hear him praying for them. I mean... He wasn't trying to be mean or nasty. He wasn't trying to foster disagreements and all that kind of thing. But the thing we have to do, Nehemiah, we have to pray for people that don't like us or they're envious of us or jealous of us. That man just retired, just recently. Excellent man. That church, as far as I know, had never run over 100 people when he went there and it was bigger than this and it was packed I realized that sometimes we just don't get it we just don't get it I'm sure that lady felt like she was well within her rights the man who wanted the preacher out 
was the big money man. He was the big money man. He had invested in Ryan's Steakhouse when it first came out. And for every dollar that he spent in investing in that company, he got back $70 for every dollar. And he put a lot of dollars in. Jordan, you could see that the man who says, I'll do whatever you brethren think I should do. That's the man. That's the man that God brought there. The Lord used him. He's had a wonderful ministry. And I'm proud to know him. Great man of the Lord. The roots of jealousy and envy are in all of us. I hope it's a very small root or it's, it's one that's dying out and you're, you're in my life. The only way to keep the two of them from growing up, I'm talking about envy and jealousy, the only way to keep the two of them, envy and jealousy, from growing up is to think less, is to think less of our reputation and more of our duty. If we will do our duty, we won't have to worry about our reputation. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. We must think less of our reputation and more of our duty. We should count it a very small matter what people think of us. People are not going to be gathered around the throne helping Jesus judge. It doesn't matter what people think. Now, we're not going to be mean with that or ungodly with that. But if we're going to serve the Lord, we have to serve the Lord. Paul said, it is a very small thing to me that I should be judged of any other person. The Lord will judge me. And as sure as we're in this building, God is going to judge us. May he find us having the victory over envy and jealousy. Saul was dealing with the consciousness that he had been removed by Jehovah. Saul was living and dealing with the consciousness that he had actually been removed by Jehovah. He was really only a phantom king. But what troubled him most was the songs of the women that pointed to David as likely to become God's new servant, God's new man. Saul had been, had been eyeing men suspiciously. 
The servant of God has come and said to him, it's over. It's over. You're done. And from that time on, I believe that Saul, every time he saw somebody he hadn't seen before, he was wondering, is that going to be my replacement? Is that the person who is to succeed me? No wonder his suspicions focused on David, who conquered men's hearts and was the subject of women's songs. No wonder his suspicions focused on David, who conquered men's hearts and was the subject of women's songs. As dark as Saul's nature had become, and as grave as his failure was to be worthy to be sitting on the throne of Israel, I think we all still feel some pity for him. A feeling of deep sadness. The second stage was Saul's attempt to kill David. Verses 10 and 11 show how the moody suspicion of Saul came to a murderous climax. Came to a murderous climax. Saul pictures for us a terrible example of how suspicion and jealousy when allowed to work in a nature without any self-control always takes it to far and wild excesses. We must not be so startled that we missed the truth that Saul had prepared a dwelling for the evil spirit that assaulted him. Saul had done it. Listen, if you follow God, if you're in his word every day, if you speak to him every day, if you worship him every day, you don't have to worry about unclean spirits and all that sort of thing. You don't have to worry about that. That's all some people talk about. Some people read the book of Revelation. They don't see Jesus at all. All they see is um, 666. We already talked about that. We're not going into that. He prepared a dwelling place for those spirits by his own indulgence in a whirlwind of sinful passions and sinful acts. If you take notes, you want to take this one. Any man, any man, any woman, any young person who lets his own base nature have full swing, he invites the devil. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Any man who lets his own nature, his base nature, have full swing, invites the devil to come in. Saul had what some would call a sudden attack of insanity. What a striking picture we have here of Saul. 
worn out from passion, swept away by uncontrollable influences. And you know what he was doing? He would rave for a while and then he'd prophesy for a while. And he'd rave for a while and he'd prophesy a while. What a striking picture we have of David. Young, calm, playing his heart, harp, playing his harp, singing songs that soothe the onset of fury. It has been suggested that Saul did not actually cast his spear at David, but merely waved it around and threatened David. That is not true. He said, I will pin him to the wall with my spear. And David had to get out of his presence and get away from him. He would not have done it if it was just empty talk. Envy allowed to have its way turns murderous. And it has to be stopped at the beginning. It has to be stopped at the beginning. The final stage in Saul's getting rid of David. The final stage is Saul's getting rid of David. Verses 12 and 15 show us the growing awe of him, fear of him that Saul had. The final stage is Saul's getting rid of David. It's a pathetic picture of terror that crept over a strong man and more and more tightly wrapped the once bright soul like a heavy mist and darkness. The reason is twofold. Number one, God, God had left that stormy, rebellious soul because that soul had left God. Reason number one, God had left that stormy, rebellious soul because that stormy, rebellious soul had left God. Number two, in its desolate solitude, in which there was no softening and no repentance, that soul knew that the sunshine was now pouring in on David. Brothers and sisters, I don't know who has a problem with this, but I believe that it is something that the, the roots may be in our hearts and it has to be dealt with and dealt with quickly. Saul's suspicions were now certainties. They weren't suspicions any longer. They were now certainties. He was sure that what his jealousy had whispered to him earlier when the women sang their chorus was fact. What his jealousy had whispered to him earlier, he now knew that it was fact. All he could do was watch helplessly as his replacement grew in favor with God and man. The two processes 
of growing darkness. So, growing darkness. That's the thing, see, if we let a little bit of darkness into our heart, if we let a little bit of darkness into our heart, it won't stay that way. It will grow and grow and grow until the light is completely put out. At least two times we're told in the scripture that Saul was afraid of David. Twice it is repeated that Jehovah was with David. And behaved himself wisely. Believe it or not, I'm on the last page. On the one hand, there is sustained growth in all that is good and godly and happy and good experiences. On the other, there is a tragic growth of darkness, gloom, godlessness, and despair. And I say like Joshua, choose this day. Choose this day. On the one hand, sustained growth in all that is good and godly and happy and wonderful experiences. While on the other hand, there's tragic growth of darkness. Listen. God wants to get darkness out of someone in this house. And yet Saul had begun so well. How many know that Saul had begun well? And Saul, and Saul could have been what David was. Saul could have been what David was. What was he? He was the companion of God. Did you hear me? He was the companion of God. That's what we all are called to be. And if we'll get our Bible down off the shelf and get in that book and speak to our Father and worship our Lord Jesus and let the Holy Spirit move in us, if we'll do that. David was the companion of God. And he was prosperous. And he was the champion of the people that Saul wanted to bow down to him. I close with this. What we have is two souls side by side on the platform for just a moment with the same divine goodness and love around them. One rises, the other sinks. Two men on the same platform the love of God is around them even though God has had to withdraw his presence from Saul God still loved him and was reaching out to him and if you're here this morning and you know better than you've ever known in your life that you have a problem with envy with strife with jealousy I want to tell you something. God loves you. God loves me. 
God loves us. He wants us to be his companion. He wants us to be. Two men, same platform. One rises, the other sinks. How awful, how awful are the possibilities of, of progress in either direction that lie open for every soul of man. How awful are the possibilities of progress in either direction, up or down. And they lie open for every soul in this room. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We bow before you, Father. We recognize that you are Jehovah God. You're the Lord God of all flesh and there is nothing too hard for you. Any person in this room who's bound by jealousy and envy, you can snap those things off if we can humble ourselves. If we can prostrate ourselves before you, say, oh God, have mercy on me. Do you realize how much God loves us that he had me speak on this? Do you realize how much God loves us that he would have, us, have me speak on this? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and in the stillness of this moment, what we might all do is say, Oh God, help me to see myself. Help me to see myself. Some men came running to Moses. Moses had been told by God to choose 70 men. And they were to go outside the city together. And God was going to take from the spirit of Moses and put it on those men. And one of them, or more than one maybe, didn't actually go out there. And some people heard him prophesy. And they ran to, Jesus, ran to Moses and said, tell him to stop it. He said, why are you envious for me? Why are you envious for me? Envious thou not for my sake. Moses just couldn't, he couldn't put it together. Why should they want to stop someone just because maybe they missed the message, you know? They, they missed or they didn't look at their watch or something. You know what he said? I would that all God's people should prophesy. They said, stop them from prophesying. This is going to get out of hand. He said, I would that all God's people were prophets and that he would put his spirit within them. That's what he wants to do. He wants to put his spirit in us this morning, right now. We're going to have communion in just 
five or ten minutes and we'll be done as far as I'm concerned. But he wants to put his spirit in us. And he wants us to prophesy in his name. The church of Jesus Christ is strengthened when there is a true word of prophecy that comes forth. You say, well, Ron, who's the judge? We're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge. That's what the Bible says. Thank you, Lord. Would you cleanse us now? Father, would you cleanse us? Would you cleanse us? God, would you make it so that it will be a very small thing to us what people think of us, how people view us, Take out of us envy and jealousy, Lord. Lord, we just might have a revival if we let you take envy and jealousy out of us. We might just experience something we've never experienced. We see it as a wrong thing. And we don't want any connection with it, Father. Would you cleanse us now? Just say to him, cleanse me now. You don't have to say it loud. You can just say it under your breath if you want. But just say, cleanse me now, Lord. Cleanse me now. Cleanse me now. Help us to have that same spirit that Moses had when he said, I want all God's people to prophesy. We bless you. We honor you. What a wonderful, generous, loving Father you are. Maybe some of us here didn't have a Father like that. Loving, generous, complimentary. I got good news for you. God wants to be your Father. If, you, if He's not your Father, He wants you to be, He wants to be your Father. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord.